Well, Proverbs chapter number seven. Proverbs chapter seven. We've taken a hiatus in our midweek study of Proverbs, wisdom from above for life below. And it was an intentional hiatus because there was a repetitive theme and they're going to pick right back up with that theme uh, again this evening. Obviously, if it is repeated so much, it's because it's needed so much because God put it there on purpose for a purpose. And I'd like to read in your hearing this seventh chapter of Proverbs. I'd like to tackle it all tonight. It really is one story. In fact, it is something of a watch and learn story. And that's actually what I want to title my message tonight, Watch and Learn. Let's read this together. Proverbs 7 says, My son, keep my words. If you went through Proverbs and highlighted every time Solomon said, my son, you'd be occupied. He is constantly appealing for the attention of his beloved son. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now, I've titled this, and I mentioned to you, Watch and Learn, and, and really because it is as though Solomon is looking out the blinds at his palace and watching something unfold. And that's exactly, he uses this something of a parabolic story, uh, an illustration, if you were, to teach his son a lesson. Son, this is what I observed. This is what I saw. Here he'd learn. Verse 6, for at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square lurking in every corner. So she called him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with Love, and you can really understand this is not love, this is lust. And that's what this is. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He's going on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him, and he will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, 
she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Wisdom from above for life below. I've titled this message, Watch and Learn, simply from this parabolic story that Solomon tells here of seeing this whole ugly event unfold in front of him. And he is sharing this with his son. And not just his sons, but sharing this with his children and with us so that we watch and learn. We see the, the true ugly end of sin where yielding to temptation takes us. Since it's been just a minute, I want to give you a quick, very quick, refreshing definition of wisdom. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, is the ability to judge accurately and follow the best course of action. Listen to that. The ability to judge accurately. What Solomon is saying, son, you need wisdom. You need to be able to when temptation comes, when the seductress appears, you need to judge rightly, judge accurately, and follow the best course of action that leads to the best health physically and really spiritually. In this chapter, we find a warning for the young and for the old not to ruin their lives through immorality, and in particular, not yielding to sexual sin. We'll make three divisions in this chapter this evening. The first is an appeal to embrace wisdom. An appeal to embrace wisdom. You could highlight some verbs in these, la in these first few verses, and it would help you understand what Solomon is saying. Son. Keep my words. Treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding. These are action words, verbs. It is a call to action. It is an, a, an appeal, a fatherly parental appeal to embrace wisdom. In fact, keep, hold on to, treasure. The word there in verse 1, treasure, we read that, we think about gold or silver or diamonds or that kind of thing, but this is a verb. He is saying, hoard up wisdom. Grab it, lay hold of it, and bring it in close to you. Store it near you. Keep these things as uh, my commands and live. Verse 2 is the apple of your eye. Uh, 
this turn of phrase here, the literal rendering of it is little man. The pupil of your eye, your little man, and it makes it makes reference to looking into someone's eyes and seeing the reflection, the reflection in their pupil. And he is just saying, your thoughts, actions, and behavior should reflect wisdom. The tiny man that you see should be wisdom reflecting in your eyes. Of course, our pupils are small, they're sensitive, they're guarded, they're precious to us. None of us want to lose our sight. But he is warning Solomon, see things the way God sees them. See them through spiritual eyes so that when temptation comes, when the seductress, when she appears, that you will see things reflected through God's law, God's commands. In verse 3, he tells him to bind the law, these commands. Bind them on your fingers. There's a reference there. And the underlying language is like a ring on your hand. Like having a ring on your hand. It's always there. You can always see it. It's always in front of you. It's not a literal command to have God's law right there, but we're to always have it in front of us. In fact, we know that because he, he says internalize the word. Internalize truth by writing on the tablet of your heart. We're to take wisdom. The ability to judge accurately and follow the best course of action. And we're to take that and we're to internalize it. We do that by learning what God has said on how we should behave and conduct ourselves. What we should and shouldn't do. How we should respond when temptation comes. When faced with some allurement. God's word should be hidden in our heart that we may not sin against him. And then there's a beautiful little phrase in verse 4 where he says to consider wisdom family. Consider wisdom like family. Think of wisdom as a loving older sister that is always looking out for you. He's asking, don't. Don't look at wisdom as some abstract idea. Think about wisdom like a loving, faithful, older sister who only wants what's best for you, that's trying to protect you, that sees trouble coming and leads you in a different way. In fact, it should make you think of Miriam on a good day. You remember when Jochebed said, take baby Moses and put him in the ark of bulrushes and set him in the river. And she, she said to Miriam, go watch over him. And that's what she did. Miriam watched over Moses as he was in that ark of bulrushes in the river until he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And, and, we should think of, he's saying, son, think of wisdom like that kind of an older sister that's guarding you, looking out for you. Wisdom is not to keep you from having fun. Wisdom is to help you make good decisions that will lead to the best things in life. The better course of action. Not only that, he says also, 
in verse 4, to consider wisdom or call understanding your nearest kin. Treat wisdom like family or honor and respect wisdom. Love and value wisdom and understanding like you would a family member. Like you would respect an uncle, respect an aunt, love a mom, love a dad. Embrace wisdom. Friends, as we face temptation in this world, the best defense is a good offense. And that means Truly valuing and embracing wisdom. You've got to see the value of wisdom. And I've said this a number of times on, on our Wednesday nights. It is, it's not just young people. It's true for older people. But oh my, how much young people, young people, how much do they need to hear this wisdom? How much they need to hear it. What wisdom can do for you. What it can keep you from. What it can protect you from. The harm that embracing and employing wisdom. The harm it will, it will keep at bay. Verse 5. That. So that. In order that. They may keep you from the strange or immoral woman. The word means foreign, that which is forbidden, uh, that will keep you. Now again here, Solomon is, is addressing and will address specifically sexual sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But it's not just that. There's a broader portrait here of every time that we face temptation. Whatever allures us, whatever draws us from holiness and righteousness to impurity, whatever that it is. We're to see it through the eyes of wisdom. The reflective understanding, knowledge, eternal counsel of God. That, if we embrace and employ wisdom, it will keep us from the loose woman, the faithless woman, the foreign or forbidden woman. In the close of verse 5, who flatters, with her words. That word flattered. Flattereth in the King James. Is most often translated in the Old Testament as divide. Divide. This woman divides. Or takes away a portion of the soul. The health, the marrow, the innocence of the young. This immoral, ungodly, faithless, foreign, strange woman divides. She divides homes through her seduction. The godless woman, the woman who is pushing herself and her godless agenda on the unsuspecting, she divides families. She divides healthy relationships. One writer said that flattery is the devil's invisible net that captures us. 
I don't know who first said it. I've, I've used it. I've used it in this study in Proverbs. I'll use it again. But a man is never so weak as when a woman is telling him how strong he is. Mark those words. Flattering. She flatters him with, his, with her words. But listen, wisdom will recognize it for what it is. Wisdom will recognize her for what she is. Biblical understanding will identify this situation as a temptation to either obey God and embrace righteousness or displease and disobey God and embrace wickedness, lewdness, promiscuity. Wisdom perceives her for what she is. Wisdom recognizes the ugliness behind the makeup. And the wise does not fall prey to her deceptive advances. Friends, this is an appeal. This, this watch and learn begins with an appeal to embrace wisdom and receive its benefits. Solomon now teaches his son by story, by parable, if you will. And he, again, listen to this, he specifically addresses the seductive woman. Solomon says, I'm standing here in my royal palace looking through the blinds and I see this whole thing unfold. In Proverbs 24, I think about verse 30, we, we read there that Solomon said, I watched, watched and learned by observation. Whether it was how the birds fly or how the plants grow or, or, or whatever that it is, I watched and learned by observation. And we're seeing this here. And this sort of make-believe, but not really make-believe because it happens all the time. Parable. And he's saying, son, watch and learn. Listen to this as it unfolded. And yes, yes, he is specifically addressing promiscuity, sexual sin. But the truth is the same application could be made to anything that tempts us, that sinfully tempts us. So first, after there is an appeal to embrace wisdom, secondly, I want you to notice an illustration from observation. And this is the chunk of the sermon, an illustration from observation in verses 6 through 23. And I, I'm just going to work through these very quickly. And you can follow along in the text. It's, it's, it's relatively self-explanatory. And I just want to, I want to add a little pain on it if I can. I just want to add a little bit of um, depth or understanding, I hope, to it. In verse 6, Solomon says, I'm watching out my window. I'm looking through the blinds. And what do I see? I see a naive youngster. A young man who is lacking in wisdom. He is aimless and empty-headed and unwise. Verse 7. That's what he is. I, I saw among the simple, among the youth, a young man devoid of understanding. 
In my mind, I imagine perhaps a sailor on weekend furlough, sort of a backwoods, small small town guy, and he's been let off at a foreign city in a foreign place. He's got money in his pocket and mischief on his mind. And he will find himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, quite purposefully, though, it seems. In verse number 8, he's passing along the street. Notice this, near her corner. What's that sound like? <laughs> sound like a streetwalker, doesn't it? The lady of the night. This is her walk. This is her corner. This is where she strolls. In the parable, she's a married woman, but the husband is out of town. And so she's out for a good time looking for someone that she can take advantage of. This young man has found himself in the red light district of town. Verse 8, he has an empty head and idle hands, and that equals real trouble. He turns towards her lair. This seductive siren is weaving her web to lure him in and she will capture him if he yields. Verse 9, there's a, a, there's, a, there's a clear allusion to darkness. Under the cover of darkness, she does her wicked work. As blackness covers the earth, it also covers her hard, calloused heart. And soon blackness will cover this young man's life. So, in verse 10, she slithers onto the scene. Notice, there was a woman who met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She has her nose powdered, her face painted, And her body and bed are perfumed. She is scantily clad. She is showing her alluring figure. She catches his lustful eyes. She's a Jezebel, a tramp, a harlot, a hooker. She is Delilah, and this young man is Samson without any strength. This woman of the night may have a pretty face and a shapely figure, but she is poison and pestilence. Verse 11 and 12 doesn't offer any flattering words about her. Rather than meek and quiet, which is in the sight of God of great price, a woman who is a meek and quiet spirit, which is of Great value in the sight of God. She's loud, flamboyant, rebellious. She's always on the go. She's always on the prowl. She's always looking for her next victim. Rather than a homemaker, she is a home wrecker. Verse 13, this language ought to jump off at you. She called him. Verse number 13, so she called him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she says to him, listen, she she shows up. She got on this 
barely any clothing. She's got more hanging out than she's got covered up. She's showing her wares. It attracts him. She lays hold on him and embraces him, and he then in turn embraces her. He is now being caught. If I were to put that in today's vernacular, maybe none of us visit the red light district of town, but maybe in today's language we could say he answered her phone call. He clicked like on her profile. He returned that text that he knew he shouldn't. He opened her OnlyFans page. He gave her his phone number. He opened up private browsing on his web browser, on the internet. She set out the bait. He took it. She called him. She kissed him. This excited him. It drew him further in. And now she she begins her seductive speech. Friends, this is not love that she is offering. It is empty lust. It is not true romance, but it will lead to regret. This is not covenant satisfaction within the confines of marriage, but it is just ugly sin. He, this young boy, this young unwise man, is just simply one of many victims that she has devoured. In fact, she fills his head with all kinds of stuff. Verse 14, why she even sounds religious. Verse 14, let me, I have peace offerings with me. Today I paid my vow. So I, 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 I went to church today. We, we did the religious thing. And in fact, if you studied out, when she's talking about having her peace offerings, um, paying her vows, she's actually saying to him more than just, I, I went to church or I went to make a sacrifice. She's saying, I'm bringing home the meat that is left over, quite literally. And you study it, if you think I'm making stuff up. She's saying, I've got a great big meal left over that I brought home from church today, from worship today. We go to my house. You can have your big old meal, and we can have us a great big night together. Now, let's just be honest. Ain't that about what every man wants? That's what uh, she is appealing to him. I'm going to quote from the Believer's Bible. It was really, really well written here about verse 14 in particular. He hears her religious jargon, and he remembers his mother's Bible laying on the living room table, and he says to himself, this woman must be all right. She's religious. I can't go wrong if she's paid her vows and made peace offerings. not knowing that the noose is tightening around his neck the entire time. And in verses 15 through 20, she promises him the night of his life. Something that he can brag about to his seamates, 
the fellows on the ship when he gets back on board. Let's go. Let's have all the food and fun that you want. She tells him, you're special. Verse 15, I came out to meet you. I've been looking for you. I have had, of all the people, I've been looking for you. Filling his head up with all kinds of garbage. Making him think he's special. You're just the one I've been looking for. And the simpleton believes her. She invites him to her soft bed with her Egyptian cotton sheets, the pleasant smells, and euphoric sex. That's very candidly. I'm not adding to. That's very candidly. What she is saying, let's take our field of love. Verse 18, let's delight ourselves. Don't worry, she says. The man of the house is out of town. He won't be back for weeks. We can fool around all we want. But her enticing words are really nothing more than empty promises that he cannot resist. He isn't wise. He is not employing wisdom. He's not embraced wisdom. He's not using wisdom. He doesn't recognize this situation for what it is. He's not judging accurately. He, if he had any proper biblical upbringing, he is ignoring his father's and mother's counsel. He's not valuing the knowledge that they poured into him. He's not embracing sound biblical counsel from God's word. He is like a moth to a flame. This is indeed a fatal attraction. Verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. The trap was set and he walks right into it. The spring snaps and he is caught. Verses 22 and 23 describe what he is now like. It doesn't say, oh man, he's strutting through town smiling about what a great time he had. He can't wait to tell everybody. No, that's not what it is. Verse 22, immediately he goes after her, listen to this language, as an ox goes to slaughter. That is God's evaluation of what this night will be. Destruction and death, ultimately misery and suffering for him. Or as a fool, someone has been shackled, beaten, and will be imprisoned. Verse 23, till an arrow struck his liver. That's a death blow, friends, an arrow through the liver is death. There's no coming back from that. Or as a bird that is caught in a snare or a trap. The close of verse 23 should resonate in our ears. This is what sin does. The wages of sin is what? Death. He did not know 
This would cost his life. That's what sin cost. Should not be trifled with or toyed with. Now wait. Wait a minute, preacher. You've just gone over the top this evening. You're being silly. It's just sex. It's just two consenting adults giving in to their natural desires. You're being way, way over dramatic in portraying this the way that you have. Well, first of all, I haven't portrayed it anyway. This is the way Solomon was inspired to portray it. But then secondly, sin is never trivial. Sin is never trivial. What this young man and what we often fail to realize is that our sin isn't just with another person like in the case of sexual sin. It isn't just with another person. It is sin against holy God. God does not take sinful sexuality lightly, nor should we. If you step back for a moment and get away from the temptation, away from the lust, away from the raging hormones of a young man, if you will, and look and see what it really is, what that, if wisdom allows you to see what this temptation is and what it costs, I would say to you that there is simply no way, there's simply no way to know How many people have been killed or murdered because of infidelity? How many people have died because of sexually transmitted diseases? How many homes have been destroyed? How many children, how many lives of children that have been completely uprooted and turned upside down because of promiscuity? How many people right now are trapped in sex trafficking? How many young people are eat up with regret and remorse because of sexual sin? How many young people are there, even adults, struggling with an addiction to pornography and sin because they refuse to heed the warning? I'm going to say to you that sexual sin can leave a scar deeper and more painful than most other kinds of sin. And in a society that would openly laugh at a message like this, that would rebuke me and God's word for being so narrow, we must be clear about God's divine standard for sexuality. God's design for sex is one man with one woman within the covenant of marriage for life and only that. And anything and everything else is a sin regardless of what our society says. It's off the chain what goes on in our world today. It's absurd. I saw part of a video where there were young people defending Pedophilia.
you sit here, I, I'm telling you, there, I'm speaking to an older congregation, you would have never imagined 50 years ago where we'd be right now. Where do you think we'll be in 50 more years without God intervening in the life and the nation of America? Without God stemming the immoral tide that is sweeping our country? It is very likely even the most gross sins will be legalized, including pedophilia, bestiality, marrying multiple men or women. You say, I, that ain't going Would you have believed same-sex marriage would be adopted by the United States Supreme Court 30 or 40 years ago, 50 years ago? We'd have trans people all over everywhere pressing their agenda down our throats. Sexual revolution did not free us. It has destroyed us. Now you may think, oh, this is no big deal. Well, let me tell you what. Sin will lead you straight to hell. Sexual sin will lead you straight to hell. You may think you're not hurting anyone, but all sin comes at a cost. And I will offer up a warning. In a technological society like ours, when you can succumb to sexual sin by a click or by a tap on a screen, remember there are no secret sins that are hidden from God. I really do feel sorry for young people today. I'm serious. Teenage boys and girls have access to stuff I didn't even know existed. And it's right there in their hand. Right there in their hand. The ease and the anonymity or supposed anonymity, the access to pornography, the acceptance of it, and nearly all deviant forms of sexual sin by society... Don't be fooled, friend, into thinking it will not ensnare you. All around us, the seductress, the temptress, this woman of the night is all around. In our world, the temptress is not just on the street corner. She comes into our house on her computer screens and our televisions and our smartphones. And young people think it's hip and cool to hook up on Tinder. And listen to me when I tell you something. This, this is not as far as you think it is. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and whatever else. Right there. Right there is the lady temptation, is lady folly, really. Yes, in our workplace. Yes, in our marketplace. Yes, around us, there's temptation. But listen, see it for what it is. That leads... 
to my third point, a call for all to hear. Verses 24 through 27. It's interesting how the writer says, Now therefore listen to me, my children. He's not just saying son. He's calling everybody, everyone. Everybody, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. This is a call to hear, a a, a plea here. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Don't yield. Don't give in. Guard your heart. Guard your steps. Guard your decisions. Guard where you go. Guard what you do. Solomon says, let me tell you something. You think you're strong, you think you're tough, that you're not going to succumb to that sin, you can toy around with it and not give in. Listen, verse 26, she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. What does he, does Solomon, how does he describe She painted it as, I've got this beautiful, soft bed. I've got all these perfumes. And I mean, we we can have a night to remember. Solomon, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, says her house, verse 27, is the way to hell descending to the chambers of death. Hear and heed. This is a call to all to listen. Friends, (laughs) avoid dark alleys. And I hope that makes sense what I'm saying. He meets her in the dark of the night. Whatever your dark alley is, avoid dark alleys. That means you got to get rid of your phone, drop the internet. I don't, I mean, I've counseled with, with people and they say, I just can't live without my phone. I'm like, you really can. Humanity survived for thousands of years without a phone. You really can. You just got to decide what's more important to you. See through sin's disguise. This woman and the temptation, whatever it is, always promises delight it only brings regret and perhaps even ultimately death. I couldn't help, and I mean no disrespect by this whatsoever, but I couldn't help but think about Ryan Evangelo's stepsister, 31 years old. And it's not a deep, dark secret. She struggled with drug addiction. The seductress of whatever that drug was kept showing up, and she yielded. And she would yield. And ultimately, that led to her untimely death. That's why I'm saying, yes, this is aimed at sexual sin, but it's not limited to that. Whether it is addiction or drug use or indulgence or promiscuity or whatever it is, see through sin's disguise. Remember, sin will always cost you more than what you wanted to pay. Well, as I close, I got to give some hope because some of us have been to Jezebel's house, either physically or in our minds, 
We've succumbed to sin. We've yielded. We've given ourselves over, either in thought, word, deed, or action. But there is hope. There is forgiveness. And there is grace in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. When temptation came to Christ, He saw sin's disguise, identified it as it was, and resisted temptation, overcame sin, thereby living a righteous, perfect, sinless life that we do not. And when we, by faith, turn from our sins and trust in Him, that beautiful, innocent, holy, perfect, righteous life of His is imputed or attributed to us. And all of our ugly yielding to sin was placed on Him at Calvary. That glorious divine transaction takes place because He's the wise Son who always, only, and fully obeyed the Father. Too many of us have followed the harlot down the alley, whatever that is, however you want to represent it. We've given in. We've yielded. We've heard the siren song and we've succumbed to it. But not the Savior. Not the Savior. And our hope for forgiveness is in Him There are many practical things that we could do to avoid sin and temptation, and we should employ those. But listen, there is hope and forgiveness in and through Christ alone. God bless you. I love you.